0: In this recording, we're going to look at two pieces related to Rosh Hashanah from Rav Salavechik. Both of these pieces appear in his Sefer Igro Sagrid, which is a collection of his letters that he wrote mostly when he was in his 20s and his 30s to his father, Reb Moshe Salavechik. Now, even though these are two different ideas, but they have a similar structure in that both of them build on an earlier idea, from his grandfather, Rab Chaim, and Rav Soloveitchik applies the earlier idea of Rab Chaim to Rosh Hashanah. So even though they're two different ideas, they do have this similar structure. So we'll put them together in this recording. Now I'm gonna go through briefly the ideas from Rab Chaim in this recording. So you don't need any background knowledge in order to follow this presentation, but anyone that's interested, I do have a longer recording on each of the original ideas of Rab Chaim. So we'll begin with the first piece. This is an Igros Hagrid, page 59, on Hilhos And the earlier idea that Rav Soloveitchik is building on, I went through in a recording on my channel called Rav Chaim Soloveitchik, and that specific recording is called Sanctifying the Calendar. So the basic idea that Rav Chaim proposes is that we have a concept in halacha that if the court sanctifies the new month even if they make a mistake and the new Rosh Chodesh is on the wrong day. So that means the holidays could be also on the wrong day. But it doesn't matter. The halacha is that we follow the human court regardless, even if they made a mistake. So Rab Chaim suggested that it's not really about the court per se. It's about the head of the court, the gadol hador. whoever is the leader of that generation, the Nasi, that person has the ability to determine the calendar. So it's not tied in with the concept of the Sanhedrin, which is a specific institution which existed in the Besam Mikdash. And after the destruction of the Besam Mikdash, the Sanhedrin lost a lot of its power, even though it continued to exist for some time afterwards, but it did not have the same level of power that it originally had. So if the rules of Kiddush HaChodesh, of being in charge of the calendar, were tied in with having a Sanhedrin, so then after the destruction of the Besam Mikdash, the whole concept of Kiddush HaChodesh, of sanctifying the new moon based on the witnesses, would have ended. But based on Rab Chaim's idea that it wasn't really tied in with the Sanhedrin, but it was connected to the highest leader of the Jewish people. So that explains how the process of Kiddush HaKodesh continued even after the destruction of the Beis HaMikdash, so long as there was a centralized establishment leadership of the Jewish people with one person, the Nasi, on top. So now Rav Salavechik in this letter applies this idea to the rules of Rosh Hashanah. We mentioned in the previous recording that if Rosh Hashanah falls out on Shabbos, so the basic rule is that you're not allowed to blow the shofar with the one exception of blowing it in the Beis HaMikdash. Now, the Mishnah at the beginning of the fourth chapter of Rosh Hashanah says that after the Beis HaMikdash was destroyed, Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai, who made a number of decrees at that time, one of the decrees was that you're allowed to blow the shofar so far in any place where there's an established court Now, there is a debate in that Mishnah whether Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai limited it only to the highest court, which was then in Yavne, or any place where there was an established court. So the Rambam in Hilchus Shofar, Beis Tes, rules like that second view that anywhere where there's an established court, you're allowed to blow the Shofar on Rosh Hashanah of Shabbos. But the Rambam adds a further limitation, the way he describes this court is that first First of all, they have to have smicha. So nowadays we lost the actual smicha, the direct chain of ordination from Moshe. So according to the Rambam, only a court of members who have full smicha in Eretz Yisrael would be allowed to blow the shofar on Shabbos Rosh Hashanah. And the Rambam adds that it has to be the court which is in charge of sanctifying the new month. So only the high court in the land, which is in charge of the calendar, the court which determined that today is Rosh Hashanah, that's the only court that's allowed to blow shofar if Shabbos is Rosh Hashanah. So the Rambam limits this whole idea effectively to the highest court in the land, not to any of the other courts. Now, interestingly, the riff in Rosh Hashanah disagrees with the Rambam, and he says that you do not require smicha. So even if there's a court with judges who do not have smicha, they would be able to blow the shofar on Shabbos Rosh Hashanah. But Rav Salavechik thinks that the Rif does not mean something radically different than the Rambam. It can't be that any three judges, wherever they are, can sit down and start blowing shofar on Shabbos Rosh Hashanah. That would be chaos. So Rav Soloveitchik thinks that the riff also is referring to the highest court in the land, which determines the new moon. So that court is able to blow on Shabbos Rosh Hashanah, even if the members don't have full smicha. So the debate between the Rambam and the riff is over whether there's a technical requirement of smicha for this court, but both of them agree that we're referring to the high court in the land, that's in charge of sanctifying the new moon. Now, the problem with the Rambam is that in the next halacha, halacha yud, the Rambam continues and he says, hazeh, in his time. So the Rambam says, we keep outside of Israel two days of Rosh Hashanah. So we blow the same way that we blew on the first day on the second day. And then the Rambam continues, if the first day of Rosh Hashanah is on Shabbos, the low haya Makum bezdin haruuyin litkoa, and there was no court that it was fit to blow in. So they were unable to blow on Shabbos Rosh Hashanah, which was the first day, because they didn't have the required level of a court. So then token basheni bilvad, we only blow on the second day. So the Rambam seems to imply very clearly that even in his time in mid evil Spain, there was a possibility of blowing the shofar on Shabbos Rosh Hashanah if you had a proper court. They didn't have smicha and there were other technical problems, but the Rambam seems to be saying that there could theoretically be a situation where you're able to blow shofar on Shabbos Rosh Hashanah in front of the court. So the Kesef Mishnah immediately picks up on the issue, how can the Rambam say that it's possible to blow shofar on Shabbos Rosh Hashanah nowadays when there is no court that sanctifies the new moon, when the Rambam himself said that the only court you're allowed to blow the shofar on Shabbos in is the one that does Kiddush HaChodesh, and we don't do Kiddush HaChodesh anymore, our calendars are based on mathematical calculation, not witnesses seeing The new moon. So, how is it possible to blow shofar on Shabbos nowadays if we don't do kiddush achodesh? So, the Kesef Mishnah says an interesting answer. The reason why the Rambam limited blowing shofar on Shabbos Rosh Hashanah only to a court that does Kiddush achodesh is not because of the status of the court. It's because any other court is not going to know for sure that today is Rosh Hashanah. When communication is bad, so only the court that established that today is Rosh Hashanah, only they can be sure that this is actually Rosh Hashanah, and they can blow the shofar even though it's Shabbos. But any other court is not going to get word that today is actually Rosh Hashanah, So they are not going to know for sure whether it's today or tomorrow. So they can't go ahead and blow shofar on Shabbos without knowing that this is 100% Rosh Hashanah. Otherwise, they're violating Shabbos without it being a mitzvah. So therefore, says the Kesef Mishnah, the Rambam holds that when there is Kiddush HaChodesh, when the new month, when the holiday of Rosh Hashanah is based on the witnesses, then only the court that takes care of Kiddush HaChodesh can blow the shofar. On Shabbos. But nowadays in the Rambam's time and in our times, when we don't do Kiddush HaChodesh, the new month is based on mathematical calculation. So everybody knows, even if the communication is bad, but anyone that knows the principles of the calendar is going to know exactly which day is Rosh Hashanah. So therefore the Rambam holds that if there is a proper court... Even if it doesn't do Kiddush HaChodesh, you could still blow the shofar on Shabbos. So according to the Kesef Mishnah, the Rambam holds that after the Kiddush HaChodesh process ended, and now the calendar is based on calculation, there's more opportunities to blow the shofar on Shabbos Rosh Hashanah. Only in the days of Kiddush HaChodesh was it limited to the high court in the land, because only they would know for sure that today is Rosh Hashanah. So that's a very interesting approach. Now, Rav Soloveitchik suggests a totally different approach. He says that you could answer the Rambam, again, applying his grandfather's idea. Reb Chaim said that Kiddush HaChodesh is not connected with the Sanhedrin as a technicality. So there's no rule that the Sanhedrin have to be the one to take care of the calendar. The way it works is that it's a status issue. The calendar is entrusted into the hands of the high court, which is representative of the Jewish people. It's like Congress. Represents the American people, so the court which represents the Jewish people is in charge of the calendar. So it has nothing to do with the Sanhedrin per se, and that's why it continued even after the destruction of the Beisam Mikdash. So says Rav Soloveitchik, if we apply the same framework to these halachas, so when the Rambam says that you only blow shofar in the court that does Kiddush Achodesh, it doesn't mean on a technical level. The Rambam is telling us a status that the high court, which is in charge of Kiddush Achodesh, also has the status to blow shofar on Shabbos Rosh Hashanah. So that status could continue even after Kiddush HaChodesh ends. So there is no process of sanctifying the new month, but it doesn't change anything because there's still going to be the most respected court in the Jewish people. So that high court could still blow the shofar on Shabbos Rosh Hashanah. So applying Rab Chaim's idea that Kiddush HaChodesh is related to the status of the court, not the technicalities of the court, will answer this question as well, how does the Rambam suggest that you could blow Shofar on Shabbos Rosh Hashanah after Kiddush Achodesh ended? So the answer is because there's still a court with that sort of status. So this is another nice extension of his grandfather's idea to the area of Rosh Hashanah. Now, Rav Salavechik adds something very nice to this. We mentioned in the previous recording the debate between the Rambam and Rashi whether you could blow the Shofar only in the Beis HaMikdash or in the whole city of Yerusha so the Rambam understands that when the Mishnah says that on Shabbos Rosh Hashanah you blow the shofar in the Mikdash, it refers to the whole city of Yerushalayim, whereas Rashi and Tosvos and Rosh Hashanah and the rivet in his comments on the Rambam, they disagree and they say that it's only the Besam Mikdash, not the city of Yerushalayim. So now we mentioned then that this is a broader debate between Rashi and the Rambam in other halachas as well what the language of Mikdash means. Is it the Besam Mikdash or is it Yerushalayim? Rav Soloveitchik seems not to be aware of this because the only other case he discusses is Lulav and he points out that there the Rambam contradicts himself. In his commentary on the Mishnah he says that you can take the Lulav in the whole city of Yerushalayim whereas in the Mishnah Torah he limits it only to the Besam Mikdash. So Rav Soloveitchik seems to think that this idea of the Rambam that you can blow the shofar in Yerushalayim is special to the concept of the shofar which is not exactly true but either way his idea fits nicely. He explains that Rashi and the Rambam's debate is a conceptual one. Why are you allowed to blow the shofar in the Besam Mikdash? So Rashi explains because there's a general rule that prohibitions of the rabbis on Shabbos do not apply in the Beis HaMikdash. So since blowing the shofar is a rabbinic prohibition, it does not apply in the Beis HaMikdash. So obviously, if that's the explanation, that only refers to the Beis HaMikdash, not the whole city of Yerushalayim, where the laws of Muktza, the other rabbinic prohibitions of Shabbos do apply. So that explains very nicely why Rashi has to say that the only exception for blowing shofar on Shabbos is in the Beis Itself. But the Rambam in Halakha Ches puts it a little differently. The Rambam writes, When they initially decreed not to blow the shofar on Shabbos, they only did so in a place where there is no court. And in the next halacha, the Rambam explains this basic idea because the rabbi's concern is that someone may mistakenly carry in the public area in order to learn how to blow shofar. But that's only going to happen, says the Rambam, in a sort of lawless place where there is no good rabbinic leadership. In a city where you have a strong in, so there's a rabbinate that oversees the city, they are going to teach the people not to carry on Shabbos. So there is no concern that someone might carry the shofar on Shabbos. So based on that, says Rav Salavechik, the Rambam understands the leniency to blow in the Beis Mikdash differently than Rashi. It's not the general rule that the rabbinic prohibitions of Shabbos are suspended in the Beis Mikdash, which is Ein Shvus Mikdash, but according to the Rambam, it's because of something else. Because since in the Beis Mikdash, you have the Sanhedrin, so you have the top rabbinic leadership in that city, so there there's no concern that someone will carry so the rabbis never made a decree not to blow the shofar on Shabbos so of course that logic also applies to the whole city of Yerushalayim because the whole city was under the jurisdiction of the Sanhedrin who were in the Besam Hamikdash. so that's why the Rambam holds that it was allowed to blow the shofar on Shabbos in the whole area of Yerushalayim in all of the suburbs any area that could see the city of Yerushalayim because it makes sense according to his reason that all all of those areas were under the jurisdiction and the influence of the Sanhedrin, so there was no concern that someone would carry on Shabbos. So, this is a very nice explanation for the views of Rashi and the Rambam. And Rav Soloveitchik adds that according to the Rambam, after the Beis HaMikdash was destroyed, so Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai didn't really add anything new. According to Rashi, he really changed the rules, because originally the rule was that you could blow in the Beis HaMikdash, and Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai said that now you could blow wherever there's an established court. But according to the Rambam, Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai didn't do anything so radical. Originally the rule was that you could blow in the city of Yerushalayim because there was a good court. Now, once the Beis HaMikdash was destroyed, so Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai just said we're going to extend the same logic to any city which has a strong centralized court. So then there's a debate in the Mishnah, did Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai say any place that has a good court or only the high court in the land, which was in Yavne? But either way, Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai is not saying anything conceptually different than the way it had been even during the times of the Beis HaMikdash. So this now ties in with what he said initially, that the idea of the Rambam is not that you need specifically the court that's in charge of the calendar. You don't actually need a court that does Kiddush achodesh. You just need a court with a very high status so that we know that they're educating the community around them to not carry on Shabbos. So this explains why according to the Rambam, even after Kiddush achodesh was over, so long as there's a very established important court in the city, you're allowed to blow the shofar on Rosh Hashanah of Shabbos in that city. So that's the first piece from Rav Salavechik. Now the second piece is in Igros Hagrid, page 51, in Hilchos Erevin Ches Ches. And this piece builds on a piece from his grandfather in Chidusha Rabbeinu Chaim Alevi on Hilchos Yom Tov. And again, anyone that wants to go through the piece fully, I have a recording on it on my other channel, Rav Chaim Salavechik. But now I'm going to briefly summarize Rav Chaim's idea and then Rav Soloveitchik's extension of it. And because Rav Soloveitchik's piece is not the best organized, so I'm going to reorganize it for clarity's sake. The basic issue is that back in the olden days, they kept two days of Yuntif because they really did not know which day was Yuntif. So each day was a suffake. It was uncertain whether that was the real day of Yuntif or not. Now, nowadays we have a set calendar, so we know exactly which day is Yantif. So there's no suffik anymore, but the reason we keep two days is because the Gemara says they said in Israel that we should continue to observe the two days because that was the custom of our ancestors. So that raises the question, when we keep two days nowadays, is that a suffik? Or is it a vaday? Are each of those days a definite obligation of Yantif? And the Rambam seems to contradict himself on this issue. So with regards to the halachas of Eruv Tavshilin, which allows cooking from Friday Yantif for Shabbos, So what happens if there's two days of yantif and a person forgets to make the Eruv Tavshilin? So theoretically, they could say on Thursday, I'm making an Eruv Tavshilin. If today is not yantif, then this is a valid Eruv for tomorrow. And if today, Thursday is yantif, then tomorrow is not really yantif anyways, so I can cook. But the Rambam rules that you cannot do that nowadays because both days are a vaday yantif. The problem is that he seems to contradict him himself because there is another similar halacha. Let's say a chicken lays an egg on the first day of yantif. So are you allowed to eat that egg on the second day of Yantif? So if they're both definite days of Yantif, then no, because it's Muksa that egg. But if only one of those days is Yantif, then yes, you could eat it. And the Rambam rules that you are allowed to eat the egg on the second day. So that seems to say that they're not both days of Vada'i, but rather we treat them as a suffix, so only one of the days is a real day of Yantif. So the way Rab Chaim explains this is that the Rambam holds that if Of course, nowadays, we keep both days of Yantif as a vadai because we know which day is the true day, and the other day we're keeping because the rabbis said to. So both days are definitely Yantif. But the decree of the rabbis was to treat both days as if they're a suffix. In other words, that's the way the decree is formulated, that we keep two days of Yantif, but we keep both of them as if they're a suffix. So now that resolves the contradiction. If the halachic question relates to each day independently, so then each day is a vada'i day. So when it comes to the Erev Tavshilin, we're assessing each day independently. So each day is a vada'i and that's why you cannot make an Erev Tavshilin on the first day of Yantif for the second day. But when it comes to the egg, the whole issue is how the two days relate to each other. The only reason the egg is prohibited on the second day is because it was born on the first day. So the entire prohibition is based on the relationship comparing the first day and the second day to each other. So in that case, they have the status of a suffake because in regard to each other, both days are a suffake. So that's why the egg is permitted on the second day of Yantiv. so that's Rab Chaim's basic idea. And again, the kernel of the insight is that for the Rambam, both days are vaday, because the rabbis said to observe two days. But the nature of the decree is that both days have the status of a suffix now, Rav Soloveitchik adds to this, that Rosh Hashanah is the exception from this overall framework. So, Rav Chaim's idea that we treat the second day of Yontif like it's a suffake only applies to the other holidays, but according to the Rambam, it does not apply to Rosh Hashanah. The two days of Rosh Hashanah have the full status of a Vaday Yontif. So, that's why the Rambam in Hilchus Yom Tov, Aleph Chavdalid writes explicitly that an egg laid on the first the day of Rosh Hashanah is prohibited on the second day because both days are considered a vaday, so there is no leniency to eat the egg like the other holidays. Now, Rav Soloveitchik asks a very strong question on the view of the Rambam. There is a debate which is quoted in the Rush in Rosh Hashanah, Perek Dalid Simen Yud whether to say shehachianu on the second night of Rosh Hashanah. The basic rule is that any new holiday gets a shehachianu including the second day of Yantif because we treat it like a suffake. So perhaps the second day is the real day of Yantif. So we make a Shehechi So there's a debate whether we make Shehechi on the second night of Rosh Hashanah. And that seems to follow this question. Are the two days of Rosh Hashanah a suffake or a vaday? So we would expect that the Rambam would hold that there is no Shehechi on the second night. But that's not what it sounds like from the Rambam. The Rambam in Hel is Chav Teschav Gimel writes, Kol yom tov, ubelel yom Every night of Yantif as well as Yom Kippur, we say She'echiyanu, with the one exception of the seventh night of Pesach, and obviously the eighth night of Pesach as well, because that's not a new holiday. So it sounds like according to the Rambam, we do say She'echiyanu on the second night of Rosh Hashanah, because he doesn't list that as. One of the exceptions. So this is a contradiction in the Rambam. On the one hand, he holds that the two days of Rosh Hashanah are a That's why you can't eat the egg on the second day. On the other hand, he holds that there is a shechianu on the second night of Rosh Hashanah, which only works if it's a suffek. So, Rav Salavechik suggests something very interesting in the view of the Rambam. Rosh Hashanah is the only holiday where they observe two days in Israel as well as outside of Israel. So, obviously, there's something different about Rosh Hashanah than the other holidays where the two days only apply in Chutzla arts. So, the Gemari in Beit Daf Hay explains that the difference is based on a Takana of Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai. The issue with Rosh Hashanah is that unlike the other holidays, it itself is on the first day of the month. So it's not like Sukkot or Pesach where you have a while to figure out what day is Rosh Chodesh and then figure out when the holiday falls out. Rosh Hashanah itself falls out on the day of Rosh Chodesh. So when people woke up in the olden days, on the morning of the day they thought was going to be Rosh Hashanah, at that point it was not Rosh Hashanah yet because the court had not yet confirmed that it was Rosh Hashanah. So they would have to observe that first day of Rosh Hashanah without exactly knowing whether it was actually going to be Rosh Hashanah. And then probably most times the witnesses would show up in the morning and by 10 or 11 in the morning, they would know that today is actually Rosh Hashanah. But there was a problem because what happens if the witnesses only show up in the late afternoon? So now it turns out that today is Rosh Hashanah, but they weren't able to do the service in the Beit Mikdash of Rosh Hashanah. So there was becoming a problem if the witnesses showed up late in the day. So Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai instituted a decree that if the witnesses don't come before mincha time, so in the first half of the day, then they no longer accept the witnesses and they would have to wait until the next day. So that's why even in Israel, they keep two days of Rosh Hashanah, because there were times in Israel when they had to keep two days of Rosh Hashanah. If the witnesses showed up in the afternoon, then they would have to keep observing the first day, because they didn't want people to be dismissive of that day in future years. So they would finish the observance of the first day, and then the second day would also be Rosh Hashanah. So that explains why Rosh Hashanah is different than the other holidays, that even Even in Israel they have to keep two days Because even in the olden days There were years when they kept Two days of Rosh Hashanah in Israel So that means the two days of Rosh Hashanah Actually have two different reasons The first is the general Shalchumitam That we observe two days of Yantif Because our ancestors did so And then when it comes to Rosh Hashanah There is another reason Which is the Takana of Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai That we should keep two days of Rosh Hashanah Rosh Hashanah in a case where the witnesses don't come on the first day. Now, nowadays, the witnesses obviously don't come because we don't have any more witnesses. So according to Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai, every year we would have to keep two days of Rosh Hashanah. So the two days of Rosh Hashanah have two separate bases in Halacha, why we have to observe them. And the Takana of Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai applies to Israel, even though the Sholchumitam does not. Now, there is an interesting debate between Rashi and Rabbeinu Hananel. What exactly is the case of Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakai So Rashi interprets it, like I just said, that if the witnesses come late in the day, so even though we know that the first day is Rosh Hashanah, but the decree of Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakai is to observe Rosh Hashanah the following day as well. So the real day of Rosh Hashanah in that case is the first day and the Takana of Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakai is to observe the second day of Rosh Hashanah. So the second day is the rabbinic edition. Rabbeinu Hanan, although changes the language of the Gemara a little bit, he says, She'im lo ba'u <laughs> So the case is not where the witnesses come later in the day. The case is where no witnesses come at all. So according to that interpretation, it's the opposite. The second day of Rosh Hashanah is the real day in that situation. And the first day is the additional day of Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai's Takana. So we have a very fundamental debate between Rashi and Rabbeinu Hananel. According to Rashi, the first day we know is the real day. The second day is an additional day. And according to Rabbeinu Hananel, it's talking about where no witnesses showed up. So the first day is an additional rabbinic day, and the second day is the real day. Now, if we plug this debate into the issue of the Jews in Israel observing two days of Rosh Hashanah, so this is a halacha that seems obvious to us today, because that's what everybody does. But in the medieval period, it was not that obvious. And in fact, Rav Soloveitchik says that there are four different views. So the first view is Rabbeinu Ephraim, which is quoted by the Baal and in Beit Gimel. Rabbeinu Ephraim holds that once the calendar is set, So it's no longer based on the witnesses. At that point, they only observe one day of Rosh Hashanah in Israel. So this is an unbelievable view. Rabbeinu Ephraim would disagree with what everybody does nowadays. He would say that the Jews in Israel should only observe one day of Rosh Hashanah because we have a set calendar. We know which day it is. So there's no reason for them to keep two days. Now, there is a variation of this view quoted by the Me'iri. He in general agrees that the Jews in Israel should keep two days of Rosh Hashanah with the exception of the people in Yerushalayim. According to the Meiri, in Yerushalayim, they should follow the view of Rabbeinu Ephraim and only keep one day of Rosh Hashanah. Now, the major Rishonim disagree with this, the Rif and the Rambam, and they say to do what we do, which is that in Israel, they should keep two days of Rosh Hashanah, but Rav Soloveitchik says that there's a different reason for the Rif and the Rambam. So even though they practically agree, but these are views three and four, because they have different reasonings for why the Jews in Israel should keep two days. According to the riff, the Ramban explains that the reason they keep two days of Rosh Hashanah in Israel is because of the decree of Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai. But it's not because of the rule that we should continue to observe two days of Yantif because our ancestors did so. Theoretically that could have applied to Israel because they did keep two days of Rosh Hashanah in the olden days, but that's not the reason. Because that only applies to a suffake of two days, whereas Rosh Rosh Hashanah is a Vadai two days. So Sholchumitam is not the basis for the two days of Rosh Hashanah in Israel. The reason is the Takana of Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai, which applies even to two days of Vadai. Because according to Rashi's view, Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai said, even if the witnesses come on the first day. So we know that it's Rosh Hashanah on the first day. Still, the decree is to keep the second day. So that's a vada'y type of decree. He's not saying that there's a sufik. We know which day is Rosh Hashanah. And still, Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai says that the second day is Rosh Hashanah. So that's a vada'y type of decree. And according to the riff, that decree carries over even after the courts stopped sanctifying the new moon. So even nowadays, when we have a calendar that's set, we still have the takana of Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai, which applies to vada'y days, so that's why we observe two days of Rosh Hashanah, even in Israel, as two days of Vadai. So that's the Riff's explanation. But the Rambam in the fifth chapter of Hilchos Kiddush HaChodesh gives a different reason why the Jews in Israel have to keep two days of Rosh Hashanah. He says because back in the olden days, most of the Jews in Eretz Yisrael did not know which day was Rosh Hashanah. The low ode, El Afilu Bi Atzma, not only the Jews in Israel, but even in Yerushalayim itself, where the court that sanctified the new moon was, Pa'amim Many years they didn't know which was the day of Rosh Hashanah. If the witnesses did not come on the 30th day, so they ended up observing two days of Rosh Hashanah. So that's like Rabbeinu Hananel's view, that the Takana of Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai is that if the witnesses don't come the first day, then they end up keeping the second day. But that's a form of a suffake because... Because they didn't know whether the witnesses were going to come on the first day or not. So that's a takana to observe the two days of Rosh Hashanah as a suffake. Now, the Rambam includes that whole discussion in the Sholchumitam Halacha. So we see that according to the Rambam, the reason why the Jews in Israel keep two days of Rosh Hashanah is not because of the takana of Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai, which again applies to a suffake, whereas the two days of Rosh Hashanah are a vadai. So the reason for the two days of Rosh Hashanah in Israel is because of Sholchumitam since in the olden days when they sanctified the new month based on the witnesses there were many years where the Jews in Israel kept two days of Rosh Hashanah so by extension they continue to do so because of the custom of their ancestors. So according to the Rambam, Sholchumitam applies in Israel which may sound a little strange because we usually think of it as a rule for Chutzla aretz, but that is the general rule view of the Rambam, he talks about certain places in Israel where the messengers didn't reach before Yantif, and those places would actually keep two days of Yantif, as opposed to certain places in Chutz La'aretz, which were closer to Yerushalayim, where they actually only kept one day. So this is a larger debate. That hopefully we'll get to another time, but there is a debate whether the two days of Yantif apply anywhere in Chutz Laaretz and nowhere in Israel, or do they apply wherever they were far from Yerushalayim as opposed to closer areas, but it's irrelevant whether they're in Israel or not. So the Rambam is of that view, that it has nothing to do with Israel, it just has to do with the distance from Yerushalayim. So that explains the view of the Rambam, why Sholchumitam applies with regard to Rosh Hashanah in Israel because the Takana of Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai is about a Safek, whereas the two days of Rosh Hashanah are Avadai and that's the rule of Shalchu that they should follow the customs of their ancestors and in the olden days in most of Israel nobody knew when it was Rosh Hashanah because word didn't come from the court at least for a few days, so almost everyone was observing two days of Rosh Hashanah every year, so that's that's why it's a vadai nowadays, because in Israel, it was almost certain that the majority of people kept two days of Rosh Hashanah, so they continue to do so nowadays as a vadai So this is a very nice framework to explain the debate between the Rambam and the Rif. Again, I'll repeat, I'm not sticking 100% to Rav Soloveitchik's ideas, because I'm trying to reorganize this, but the basic idea is that there are two fundamental debates. Is the Takana of Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai a Safek or a vaday? Bye, Dai. And that's a debate between Rashi and Rabbeinu Hananel. And then there's another debate whether Shalchumitam applies only in Chutz or also in Israel. So according to the riff, Shalchumitam does not apply in Israel. The Takana of Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai is a vadai, like Rashi. So the reason they keep two days in Israel is because of the Takana of Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai. According to the Rambam, the Takana of Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai is a Suffolk, like Rabbeinu Hananel, and Shalchumitam does does apply in Israel, so that is why they keep two days of Rosh Hashanah. Now, this explains Rabbeinu Ephraim. he holds that neither of those reasons applies in Israel. Because he holds that Sholchumitam only applies in Chutz Laaretz, so that's a very simple argument. And the Takana of Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai, he agrees with the riff that it only applies to a suffak, and the two days of Rosh Hashanah are a Avadai. So that cannot be the basis for the two days of Rosh Hashanah. So that's why Rabbeinu Ephraim says that there is no reason for Jews in Israel to keep two days of Rosh Hashanah once there's a set calendar and we know exactly which day is Rosh Hashanah. Now, what about the fourth view that only in Yerushalayim should they keep one day and the rest of Eretz Yisrael should keep two days? So Rav Soloveitchik explains that that view basically agrees with the Rambam that the reason they keep two days of Rosh Hashanah in Israel is because of Shalchumitam, but that view holds that shalchumitam only applies when the people originally most of the time kept two days. Meaning the situation in Israel was that outside of Yerushalayim, almost every year they kept two days of Rosh Hashanah because they basically never knew when Rosh Hashanah actually was. But in Yerushalayim, it depended. Some years they did keep two days if the witnesses didn't show up, but many years they probably Probably only kept one day if the witnesses showed up so they knew which day was Rosh Hashanah. So that's why the Me'iri holds that Sholchumitam only applies to the places where they almost always kept two days. A place like Yerushalayim, where they occasionally kept two days, but many times they only kept one day, does not have a rule to follow two days. Whereas the Rambam holds that any place where they even occasionally kept two days has to continue to observe two days. So this is a broader debate. It's not only about this small issue of Yerushalayim, on Rosh Hashanah but let's say there were places where occasionally they had to keep two days but many years the messengers arrived and they only kept one day so according to the Rambam in those places they would continue to keep two days and according to the Me'iri they would only observe one day so this is all a very interesting framework and it explains nicely the different views about where and why the Jews in Israel keep two days of Rosh Hashanah so now that we understand the view of the Rambam Rambam better, we can come back to the question we began with, if the two days of Rosh Hashanah are Avadai, why does the Rambam hold that we make a Shechianu on the second night? So now the answer would be, since he understands that the reason for the two days of Rosh Hashanah is because in the olden days, they used to keep two days of Rosh Hashanah. But the way the Rambam and Rabbeinu Hananel understand it, there were years when really the second day was the main day because the witnesses didn't come on the first day. So in deference to those years, we make a Shechianu on the second night to act as if that is the main night. So even though it's a Vada'i that we... we... We have to observe both of these days. But the way this law is set up, conceivably some years the second day was the main day. So that's why there is a Shechianu on the second night. Now using these ideas, Rav Salavechik answers another very nice question. The Gemara raises the issue that even though Sukkis and Pesach both fall out on the 15th of the month, but the month of Tishrei has two holidays before Sukkis. So there were two days of Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. So there were three days when the messengers couldn't travel. So they only had 11 days to travel in Tishrei as opposed to 14 in Nisan. So there were places that lived between 11 and 14 days away from Yerushalayim. So they knew which day was Pesach and they only kept one day. But they didn't know which day was Sukkot. So they kept two days of Sukkot. So now that we instituted the rule of Shalchumitam that we have Observe two days of Yantif, What do those places do? So the Gemara in Rosh Hashanah Chaf Aleph says that Rabbi Yochanan had a takana that those places should observe two days of Pesach, just like they observe two days of Sukkot. So any place where they observe two days of Yantif should do so for the other Yantif as well, even though that was not actually their custom. So that city only kept one day of Pesach, but now they're going to be keeping two so that people don't become dismissive of the second day of Sukkot. Now the Rambam in Hochos Kiddush HaChodesh Gimel Yudbez applies this concept of the Gemara to answer another question. Why do we keep two days of Shavuos? Shavuos is always 50 days after Pesach, so there's no place in the world where they don't know what day Shavuos is, because if you know which day is Rosh Chodesh Nisan, then you could just add 65 days and you'll always know when Shavuos is. So why do we keep two days of Shavuos when there was no place where they ever had to do so in the olden days? Says the Rambam, it's because of the same idea. Just like those communities had to observe two days of Pesach in order to protect the two days of Sukkot, so too all communities in Chutz LaAretz observe two days of Shavuos, even though they didn't used to do so in the olden days. Based on this idea, because we don't want to start having holidays where there's only one day, and then people will start questioning the two days for the rest of the holidays. So that's why we observe two days of Shavuos nowadays. So Rav Soloveitchik asks a very cute question based on this extension of the Rambam. If according to the Rambam's logic, anywhere where they keep two days of Yantif has to observe all the Yantifs as two days, so then in Israel, they should have to observe Pesach, Sukkot and Shavuos as two days as well. Because since they observe two days of Rosh Hashanah, so by extension. They should have to follow two days for all of the holidays, just like we apply this rule to Pesach and Shavuos. So I think the simple answer is that if you're in general keeping two days of Yantif, we might extend that concept to one or two more holidays. But in a place like Israel where they only keep one holiday as two days, so it's the minority of holidays, so it doesn't make sense to extend that idea to all the rest of the holidays. So that's the simple answer. But Rav Soloveitchik answers based on this whole concept that he developed that Rosh Hashanah's two days is fundamental different from the other holidays. It's not a suffake at all. It's a straight vada'i. So this whole idea of the Rambam, that if you keep two days, you have to keep all the holidays as two days, only refers to holidays that have an element of suffake in them. So we compare different holidays to each other when there's an element of suffake included in the two days. But the holiday of Rosh Hashanah is in its own category because there's no suffake at all. It's a straight vada'i. So that we're not going to compare to the other holidays, and just because you keep two days of Rosh Hashanah does not mean that it extends to the other holidays, which would be a suffik. So that explains why this logic of the Rambam does not extend to the people in Israel nowadays. Now, one final point that Rav Soloveitchik discusses in this piece is he develops a debate between the Rambam and the Raivid over this issue. When we say that both days of Rosh Hashanah are Kedusha achas Hain, they're one sanctity, meaning they're a vadai, does that apply even if it's a leniency or only if it's a stringency? So according to Rav Salavechik, the Rambam believes that Kedusha achashein, the vadai status of the two days of Rosh Hashanah, are both for stringency as well as leniency. Whereas the rivid disagrees, he holds that it's only a stringency. But if treating them as a suffake is going to be a stringency, so then we do so as well. So we follow both stringencies of two days of suffake and two days of vadai, depending on which one is going to be the stringency. So that's also an interesting issue, which would have practical ramifications. So those are the major points that I wanted to go through in this piece from Rav Soloveitchik. And again, I'll repeat that I really restructured this very much and connected some of the dots in my own way. So any mistakes are my own fault, Rav Soloveitchik has a different perspective on this piece, but I felt that the way I put it would be more clear for this presentation.